and uh, we do want to be open for God to do uh, all that he wants to do. But I think there's two main strands that always run through uh, great gatherings. One is the worship of God, and the other is uh, the word of God, God speaking to us. You know, um, the primary way that God speaks to us is through the word, not just through preaching. There's, a, there's an echo on this, um, Alex. Um, not just through preaching, but, um, but uh, God can speak to you as you read the Bible this week. Um, but it, it is God's word, God's love letter to us. But we certainly believe that through preaching and teaching of the word, God can speak to our lives. He can yes. shape us. He can mold us. I know that all the journey by Christian faith, that has happened more times than I can ever think about. Sometimes we've been really realizing it, and sometimes without me realizing it. And even this week, uh, I, I've been on the end of uh, a lot of ministry because of thank you for people in Arena Mansfield have been praying for us. But this church belongs, along, of course, with Arena Oakiston to a national network of churches called Assemblies of God. And this past week, we've been uh, celebrating our annual Stronger Together conference that was back-to-back -back this year to try and absorb the numbers uh, that were over 1,600 leaders. And we met at the wonderful facility at Kingsgate in Peterborough. And uh, just to be on the end of also ministry and uh, hearing God's word through great men and women of God, again, brings something to our lives. So I want to encourage you tonight to have an open heart to God. It may be that as Christians been leading uh, as this, this uh, tonight, you, you're on a journey to faith. You've, you've never quite yet stepped in. Uh, it may be that you've been a believer for 20, 30, 40 years and God can say something different uh, tonight. So, uh, if you've got a Bible, or you want to watch it on the screen, um, then we're going to read two verses from the end of Ephesians chapter 2. That is in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2. And the and verses 21 and 22 say these words. In Him, that is Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I'd like to read that just one more time. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The beauty of the Bible was that was a word over 2,000 years ago to a church in Ephesus, a significant city of, of the first century. But it is also a word to us tonight in Arena Mansfield. Yeah. And we're going to open up tonight this series called Thieves and Occupants. You know, as we run across two sites at times, sometimes we'll preach exactly the same message, morning and night in both places. But this is about four or five weeks behind what we're doing uh, down at Ilkeston, but it is an important message that needs to be laid into the life of both campuses. And uh, I just want you to really just open your heart tonight because uh, it's my persuasion, Christian's persuasion, the elders' persuasion, that this is such an important series for us. Yeah. That if we continue to get it right, friends, then we position ourselves for God to continue to do amazing things. As you heard earlier from Christian, how many of you know that this is not the completion of what God wants to do? We thank God for what he's done. And we never stop to thank him. Um, when, when we began this journey nearly five years ago, 
just a few people who went to Field Mill and started Sunday night services and now we're in this great facility, a developing facility. And yeah, we will get that roof sorted out one day. And I tell you, Paul Stokes has spent tens of hours on that journey. Thank you, Paul. And we're getting to a conclusion with this month. This month. And uh, in fact, this week. Is it starting tonight, Andy? Yeah, but, but, but we're really on it. And, you know, I just say thanks, Paul, Andy, for all that you've done. But the building. And we thank God for people who have been added to us and joined to us. People who have got saved. We've done two baptismal services in the last six months in this building. It's been awesome. Yeah. And God's doing great things. But God wants to do something amazing. If I can take you to a word from the Friday night message from Hillsong Pastor Brian Houston. Unusual. Yeah. You see, if we got thousands in, in Arena Church, that would be unusual. Yeah, because it would bump the trend. Yeah. Yeah. Not talking about weird or zany. I'm talking about God doing something that only he could do. But that doesn't just happen. I'll come to it in a moment. We have to set a course for God to do all that he wants to do. So let me take you back to Ephesians. Because Ephesians is the classic book of two halves, six chapters. In the first three chapters, it tells us about what God has worked into our lives. And then chapters four to six encourages to work out what God has worked in. And that's the way to live life. We can only work out something that God has worked in. Otherwise, as we'll see in a moment, it's religion. That never works. Yeah. And Ephesians talks about the church. It's a great book on the church. Theologians have poured over these six chapters and drawn out many, many thoughts. Let me just give you three pictures that describe the church before we get to the heart of the, the message tonight. Number one. In Ephesians, it describes the church as a body, chapter 1, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him, that fills everything in every way. Christ is the head of the body, and the body has many members, many parts. Another great uh, illustration of that is 1 Corinthians 12. And we cannot say to each other that we don't need other parts of the body, and we'll come to that later in the series. And you have a part to play in the body. It may not be on a platform, it may not be speaking. But lots of people want to be on a platform speaking or playing instruments. Well, I'll tell you, friends, there's a cost to being on a platform speaking that lots of Christians actually don't want to pay. And so, you know, there's lots of contributions, many under-the-radar contributions that nobody notices that are absolutely vital. And then in chapter 5, the, the church is described as a bride. There's some uh, teaching material they talking about husbands and wives and he says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. A bride radiant and beautiful. I've only had one ever one bride. Thank the Lord. I mean I'm thankful for that. I've not had seven brides, you know. Um, it was 36 years ago this July. I mean where's that time gone? I had lots of air. It wasn't great and uh, you know, one of those great big knotted ties, you know, that sort of was sort of, it finished about there, you know. And uh, the bride came, Sharon came down the aisle and she prepared herself, she looked gorgeous. And uh, she was the bride, she didn't turn up in a, in a scruffs, you know, as though she was going to sort of like, uh, you know, um, sort of uh, have a cleaning day in the house. She prepared herself beautiful, that's the journey of the church. It's called holiness, sanctification, preparing ourselves. I tell you, the, the leaders of this church get really irritated when people diss on the church. Because Christ loves the church. Yeah. And he gave himself for it. Yeah. 
And as somebody said last week, when the church is on form, there is nothing like it in the earth. And we want to be a great church. We want to be a great bride of Christ that is continually, by His grace, making ourselves beautiful for Him. But I want you to, to think tonight, not of the body or the bride, but to think of the church as a building. And that's why I read the two verses from Ephesians 2. Because it talks there about us being a building joined together to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in being built together, we become a dwelling place for God. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. But in the New Testament, through the cross, God has a people for his temple. So those of you that know the Bible will know that in the Old Testament it was a tabernacle. It was basically a portable worship tent. And when the cloud moved, the people moved. And then uh, we, we, we got to a stage where the presence of God was taken away from the people for a time. But when it was restored, the first thing that they did to build another tent, we're not so familiar with this one, but the tabernacle of David. And it became the worship center on the hill Zion for the people to gather to. And then there became a permanent temple, which David couldn't build, so he prepared the way for Solomon. And then that temple got raised to the ground, and there was a period of 70 years where the people were in exile. And then under the leadership of uh, Zerubbabel, certain people went back to Jerusalem, and they began to rebuild the temple. They got discouraged and thought, oh, this is hard work. Tell you what, let's, be, let's just bother about building our own houses. And a little prophet came along called Haggai and said, hang on. You need to put the temple of the Lord first. And the Lord is with you. So they restored the temple. And they were worried that it was never going to be as grand as Solomon's temple. Until they received this promise. That the glory of the latter house would be greater than the glory of the former. I want to say friends that all of that finished at the cross. They were shadows. They were types. They weren't a fulfillment of God's purposes. But they pointed us to something that God is doing today. And that, what is today, is what God is doing through his church. So it may be a literal building, it may be a cathedral, it may be a grand church building, it may be a former theatre, stroke snooker hall, that bizarrely and weirdly and strangely and unusually has become a church. In the centre of Mansfield, it may be, like many brothers and sisters today, they meet under open skies because they've got no building to go to. But when people come together in truth to worship the Lord, it becomes a house where God dwells by His Spirit. You may say, well, all that sounds very spiritual, so we're not bothered about buildings anymore. The answer is no. Buildings don't really matter, friends. You know, I, we've had people come to this church, so it's not a proper church. Because they've defined it by a building. How can this be a proper church? Because people come together that allow God to indwell us by His Spirit. And this is the house of God. Yeah. And that's why it's going prophetic pictures of the future about things that are going to... Forget it. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. God is going to declare His glory and purpose through the church. Yeah. He's determined that that's what is going to be His purpose and plan. And all the Old Testament shadows were to help us to understand the power of the house that's infilled by God's Spirit. Now Jacob in the Old Testament got a revelation of the house of God when, when he was receiving a dream from the Lord of the ladder going from the heaven and earth. And at Bethel, he says, how awesome is this place? It is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. 
Now listen friends, this is what the church is meant to be. When it comes together, it's meant to be the gate of heaven. So that as heaven touches earth, things begin to happen. People get saved. People get restored. People get healed. It literally is meant to be heaven on earth. Awesome. Not awful. Anybody been to an awful church? Oh, nobody said hello. Nobody shook your hand. Cold. If you said to people out in Mansfield tonight, why don't you go to church? Boring. How have, how have they got that perception, friends? How have we sold the church so badly, the awesome place of God's presence, that all around us in this town tonight, people are deceived into thinking that the church is boring. We've got work to do. We've got work to do in terms of increasingly getting across. Now, being an awesome church doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional about it. We have to have the right builder. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. We have to have the right foundations built upon Christ. An apostolic prophetic ministry. We have to have the right walls that are knit together by the cement of the Spirit. The right windows that allow the light of His Word to invade. The right door that is always open to His presence. And the right roof that's both closed and retractable. So there's times when we need to bring the roof over and hide under the shelter of his wing, and there's other times we have to let it go right back and let him just invade us with all that he wants to do. And then in the house, like your house, there's furniture. Well, I hope there is, you know. Paul was telling me about somebody he went to see once and there was literally no furniture in the house. And that's all, that's not normal, that's unusual. But there's furniture in your, there's a culture in your house. There's an ethos, there's values. And you may not be aware of it. It's either a culture that's good that's growing or a culture that's bad that's growing. But I want to tell you, it's a culture. And it's defined by our attitudes. I used to work on the insurance for years. I used to knock on people's doors, you know, the old IB and collect the money and everything. I tell you, I've walked into more cultures. I could keep you here for hours. Talking about cultures I walked into, atmospheres, some good and some absolutely dreadful. It's the same with the church. We have to be intentional about the furniture, the culture, the atmosphere, the purpose of the house. You see, too many churches are like a pile of bricks. He may have made a lot of money for Damien and Hearst saying it was a work of art. But it's no good for the church. Just a pile of rubble, a pile of bricks saying, that's the church. No direction, no blueprints, no plans, no, no intention of how to design what God has called us to be. And it doesn't just work like that. And God has given gifts to the church to help the church take the pile of bricks and shape it in his plans. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says that he's given apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to the church. Gifts to the church. Not to be above the church, but to come under the church. Not to say that somehow they're a clergy and you're the laity. Not to say that we're professional and you're amateur. But gifts to the church to empower the church to find its place in the work of the ministry. But I want to say that we can make too much of those gifts at times. But my reflection, particularly of the UK churches, we make too little of the gifts. 
And we think that somehow we can turn the church into an awesome place without the input of Ephesians 4, 11 gifts. Let me tell you, it will not happen. If I can say it respectfully, there are too many churches led by good people and not gift people. And as good as those people are in their intentions, they will not see the breakthrough into what God has called us to be, to create an awesome place for God's Spirit to dwell. Give people, bring the breakthrough to allow that to take place. And if we've got gift people in the house, then we do ought to honour them, respect them and be thankful for what God has done. So let me talk about thieves tonight for a moment because over the next few weeks we're going to be talking about what we decide to see filling the house, the culture of the house, the furniture of the house. We're going to be talking about discipleship and aspiration and togetherness and mercy and faith. But before we get there, we need to deal with the first part of the message, thieves. It may be that you are buying your house, or it may be that you're in the happy place that you bought it, and you haven't got a mortgage anymore. What a great place to be. Let's believe for mortgages to be cleared in yeah, Jesus' yeah. name. What about yeah. fantastic? Yeah. It may be that you are renting your house. It may be that you're leasing the house, but it's your house. It may be a big house. It may be you know, just a great house. God's blessed you with it. It may be detached. It may be like me. You live in a fairly little house. I live in a sort of end terrace house. It's not particularly big, but it's my house. And tonight when I get home, I mean, sort of pour myself out into church. It's my place of sanctity, safety, refuge. It's where I can kick my shoes off and sort of be my home. Yeah. And so it is with you. So whether your home is big or small, it's your place, your house, and that's special to you. Imagine your house coming under threat, gate crashes, and that's happened more and more. With Facebook, for instance, mum and dad have gone away for the weekend. They've said to their 18-year-old son, now then son, behave yourself, you can have a few friends round, but no more than that. He's invited his few friends, but then somehow it's gone viral on Facebook, and in some places there's been two, three, four hundred people turning up to trash the place. And imagine that sort of, uh, you know, it's an interesting conversation the following Monday morning with his parents. You wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want squatters in your house that refuse to move. Illegal residents. You wouldn't want burglars to come tonight or robbers. We've had people sadly in our church. They're on occasions and sadly, uh, thankfully it is very occasionally, but one of our couples in Ilkeston, just a few weeks after they got married, the year before last, were burgled. And it was a traumatic time for them. They felt that they handled it beautifully. But, um, but, you know, their new house, the place that they were establishing their marriage alone, was invaded by somebody that shouldn't have been in there. We feel the pain of that. If you've been on the end, sadly, of intrusion, you know what I'm talking about. Robbers. Well, just as that sits uncomfortably with us in the natural, so in the spiritual. You see, Arena Church is absolutely committed to being an outward-focused church with a wide-open, welcoming door. Yeah. As you've heard tonight from Annie, she led us in the breaking of bread, that he gave everything for everyone. Yeah. And we really believe that. We don't want to be judgmental. We don't want to be unmerciful. Yeah. We don't want to be determining what God can do in his life. I'm more convinced than ever, friends, that God can get all the people and turn around forever. 
heard when Rafe were here two weeks ago, if you heard Errol Lawson last week, you'll find two men there that were completely turned around. The door is wide open. But that doesn't mean that we're going to allow intruders into the house that rob the church of its vitality and its life. I'm not talking about people so much as the spirit that people bring. We will guard that. We will protect that. We will bolt the doors to the intrusion that seeks to prevent God doing all that he wants to do. And in the few moments I've got left tonight, I'm going to rush through four things that I believe, friends, are, are absolutely vital for us to understand that are always the thieves of the house of God. And if I can say this, I sort of got this some time ago. And I said to the Lord, Lord, how do I communicate this to people without sounding negative? I don't believe in negative preaching, pulling down or anything like that. I always want to build people up. And I just felt the Spirit of God say to me, but all these things stood against Jesus. So all that you're encouraging people to understand is that every one of these things stood against Jesus in the Gospels. I'll try and show that in a moment. So don't be surprised if they stand against the church. And if we genuinely, and I believe we do, want Arena Mansfield to be an awesome place, the gate of heaven, the house of God, we must, with diligence and vigilance, ensure that we are not burgled by the intruders. So that we create a place for God to do what he wants to do. I want to tell you, friends, that we are determined as a leadership to keep pressing into what God wants to do. You've heard Christian prayer and prophesy, going right back to Field Mill, about thousands. And I know at times that he's tempted because we're in a spiritual battle to pull back on that. So, okay, let's make it hundreds. I'll tell you what, let's make it tens. But friends, we want to continue to believe that God will do something unusual. That will baffle the cynics because of the growth that God brings. That God will build a church that he's never done before. That the best church in Mansfield lies in front of us and not behind us. And we honor everybody over hundreds of years that have so faithfully the gospel into this town. So briefly, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that you might have life in all of its abundance. Now, I say this with humility, we could camp at every one of these points for a week. In other words, we could roll this out. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to bullet point a few things. But hopefully you'll just capture the heart of the message. And uh, this is furniture that we don't want in the house. This is culture that we refuse to accept. These things are bolted in the spirit at the door of the church. Number one, religion. Luke chapter 5, 27 through to 6, 11. Obviously not got time to read it. But Jesus was healing people. You think everybody would be glad? Healing people. Oh, hang on a minute. He healed on the Sabbath. Oh. So we get to Luke 6 and it says that the people were furious with him. If you think that when revival comes to Mansfield, everybody's going to be glad, then you better think again. Because some people are going to be furious. They're going to be furious. They're going to do everything, friends, to withstand what God wants to do. Religion. He's done it on the Sabbath. He says in one translation that these people 
were beside themselves with rage. Come on. All he's done is healed somebody. Beside themselves with rage. And I want to tell you, friends, that the religious spirit always kicks back on the reality of God's presence and power. It'll pick over. Well, how can the guy be anointed? He wasn't wearing a tie. Or he had the wrong haircut. Or he had a funny suit on. Or he had them, I'm not going to go with Alan when the other way, but those tight jeans on. How can, how can they possibly? Or they're flashing away on his. How? In other words, we'll find nitpicking things to pick over and miss the power of God. Religion is a system of faith, friends. It seeks to attain God's favour by works. And this church and the Christian faith is not into religion, it's into relationship. It is not saying do, it is crying out, as we've done in the songs tonight, done. He has died for you. He has given his life for you. He has loved you. He has paid the price. You need to step into it. Stop trying to do it in your own efforts. One of the problems with really nice people, and there's some really, really nice people around, friends, there really are, is that so often they want to get to God through their own efforts. And they have to come to a place of realizing that they are utterly hopeless and need to be ambushed by His grace. And in Matthew 23, God gives us some of the characteristics of religion. And again, I don't have time to expound it tonight, but let me just run the list through to you. You can check it off. And Jesus was ruthless, I use the words, with the religious spirit. He, he loved people who were broken, he, he gathered people. But when he was withstood by the religion, he really went for it. He says religion is burdensome, proud or arrogant, external, protective of status quo. I know some of you still want to protect status quo, but, you know, but I mean not moving. Rick Parfit fans, put your hands up. No, 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 can't put it. Religion is powerless. It's critical. It's joyless and it's stubborn. And I want to say, friends, that religion's quick to complain. It's quick to compare. Religion, someone said once, seeks to pounce. <laughs> and I've been at doors at churches, friends, after certain services where the religious spirit has pounced all over me. All of them. It runs to so-called higher values of holiness and purity, and yet inside is utterly unclean and completely misses the point. It works against the reality of God and the purposes of His church. And unchecked, it is destructive in its extreme. Now, sometimes people misunderstand the Rima church. It was interesting what Christian mentioned earlier. The thing was superficial. The thing were a bit cavalier. The thing that we don't take things serious. I want to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. If you come to this church on a regular basis, you will find that on a consistent, regular basis, the band leads to the worship of God, a ministry is rolled out in a, in a reasoned and well-prepared way, which we spend hours doing. So that we're not being cavalier. But friends, we are not going to be contained by the religious spirit. We're not going to be contained by people saying, well, it used to be like this in the church. Right. It's like this in the church now, friends. Yeah. We all need to move on. Yeah. 
And to, we are absolutely rooted in the principles of the scripture. But we believe in laughing in Arena Church. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. We believe in having a bit of fun. Yeah. We believe in sometimes a little bit of a sort of run taking place. And sometimes it's somebody's expense. Never to put them down. But because we're a family. Yeah. And if you want to come pole-faced every week and sort of seek to diminish that, you're going to have a problem. You're going to have a problem. It's not going to be a comfortable place for you to be. Yeah, we believe that it's okay to play pool after church on yeah. a Sunday night. Amen. Yeah. You know, we believe it's okay just to come to church once on a Sunday. If Sunday night's your bag and you're okay Sunday morning, you're right through the papers to find out what all happened in the general elections week. While we were doing it at Ilkeston, it's okay. It's okay. And so we could go on. We are not going to be defined by a religious spirit. Please don't underestimate or, 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 uh, or misinterpret that as us not being serious about being absolutely true to the gospel of God. Yeah. Jesus was not a religious person. He was full of life of the spirit. Yeah. Briefly, the second thing is rejection. It needs to be bolted at the door. And in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 30, Jesus stood up in his hometown of Nazareth and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And so the ministry manifesto ran on, eyesight to the blind and so forth, year of the Lord's favor. And it says that they, they were so affronted by his confirmation of Messiahship that they wanted to take him to the outside of the city and throw him off a hill, but his time had not yet come. <clears throat> and even today, friends, in Orthodox Judaism, there is still a blindness to accepting the Savior. He is despised and rejected of men. And I want to say that we need to be careful that we don't live with a rejected spirit in our life. We need to be careful, friends, that we push back on it. It can come through family or friends or foes. It could have been verbal, emotional, intentional or otherwise. But we must be careful that we don't live with a spirit of rejection. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. He was sold for just a few coins to some travelers and taken to Egypt. But he refused to be defined by a spirit of rejection. And he rose in his destiny in God. And if you, if you don't push back on rejection, then it will seek to define you. But I want to encourage you to accept the truth over your life. Psalm 139 says that you're precious in God's eyes and that all your days have been mapped out according to his book. And if you want to live the life saying, I, I wish I was somebody else, God doesn't love me, that is not the Bible. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You, young man, young lady, older person tonight, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And all your days are ordained of him. Accept the truth. You need to release forgiveness perhaps. And please, I, I don't have time to go here tonight, but forgiveness is not condoning the wrong or evil that was done to you. It is not saying that. But it's releasing its power over your lives. And it may be that you need to get before the Lord. It may be somebody that's dead now. But you just need to say in your heart, Lord, forgiveness has gone. It may be it is a telephone call, an email, a letter, a card. But to let forgiveness go, if it seems tough, Imagine what God thought when the whole of the world stood before him and he forgave us. And 
We need to put rejection at the door so it doesn't inhibit our destiny. Psalm 138 and verse 8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And I believe that. I confess it over my life, friends. I don't do that in any sense of uh, any, anything other than the confidence that the Lord will fulfill his purpose over me. And so he will for you. Rejection. Locking at the door. Um, often the church of Jesus Christ is portrayed as rejectionist. We want some people in the church but not others. This is not true. And this church, friends, wants to have an incredibly large accepting heart. If you'll hear me carefully, and it's almost an in inverted commas, we're prepared to take risks with people. But we'll do it carefully. We'll do it by God's grace. And the door is open for people to come and find the Lord. But we don't want people living with a spirit of rejection because it's a thief. And it needs to be scattered. Third thing, briefly, is control. Oh, my word. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, Jesus had just been praying and fasting for 40 days. And then he was confronted by the enemy. Right there and then, the plan of salvation could have capitulated forever. And the enemy tried to control him. Control is an unnatural dominance or expectation over a person's life. It works out in so many ways. We've seen control historically, nationally. Stalin. How did Hitler get all those people on side? It was control. Ceausescu in Romania, Saddam Hussein, North Korea, when you see those pictures and they're all sort of watching, you see the soil, and everybody says, what is that about the most closed nation in the earth? Utterly controlled by the state. We see control domestically. We have a, a, a contact with a women's refuge, we don't know where it is, in one of the nearby towns to Ilkeston. And of course, more often than not, women sadly have to flee to those contexts because of a controlling partner. They can barely breathe, such as the dominance over them, and it becomes utterly suffocating, and sadly often runs to violence. And those of you that have been involved in the social aspects of your life in terms of your occupations would know all about that. Horrible. But of course, sometimes domestically, it's far more subtle and nuanced than that. Some people are controlled by a look by a raised eyebrow, by whatever it is. And we must not allow anything, friends, to press down to control us. Yes, let me say it tonight, sometimes there's been control ecclesiastically. Sadly, friends, it's no good trying to hide it. There have been churches that have controlled people, there have been, there have been institutionalized churches at times that have controlled people and embraced wrong attitudes from scrupable ends. And we're sorry. And thank God that there are strong people today that are prepared to repent. Even some of the great world church leaders have attacked this issue again in recent times and expressed sorrow. And three ways that we can be controlled. One menace. It says to the early church, stop spreading the message or else. And there are millions of people across the earth today that don't have the freedom to worship Jesus Christ the same as we do. And for some, they literally live with that on a regular basis. Better stop meeting in your church or else. 
when I was away in Egypt three weeks ago at a missions conference, one of the signs, they did a beautiful backdrop to the church, and there was the Arabic sign that in English translates into the letter N. And up in northern Iraq recently, as ISIS has poured down into that nation, they went round and marked all the Christian houses with that sign N. You've got 24 hours. You either convert to Islam, or you better get out, because we're coming after you. You better stop following Jesus, or else. And we need to pray for the persecuted church that God will continue to give them help, menace. You might think, well, that's all right for Iraq. We've been menaced at times. We've had people coming to, to try and push back on what we're trying to do. Yeah. And we refuse to receive it. We can be controlled by manipulation, arrangement, management, emotions, reactions. You know, and we, we, we need a discernment to understand that. People try and control the church. Every time we say something, please hear me. I've no issues with people crying. And, and there's times when I'm absolutely moved. But when we use tears to control people, it is wrong. Yeah. It is wrong. And then through, <clears throat> through money. Jesus was offered all the wealth of the world. If he bowed down and worshipped Satan, he said, no, it is written. Simon the sorcery in Acts 8 says, I'd like some of those things of the Spirit and I'll pay cash for him. And Paul rebuked him. Yeah. So you can't buy the things of the Spirit by material means. Yeah. And there are people that have, been trying to, have tried to control Christianity for their own ends. I want to say that if you ever uh, uh, rise in leadership in a church and someone says, tell you what, mate, uh, you know, keep it between me I and mean, don't tell the treasure, it's not going through the bank, but if you'll do this, I'll give you this. The answer's no. The answer is no. However attractive it may seem, because it will always be for an ulterior motive. It may be three, four years later, but can you remember when I gave you that £5,000? And now you're making this decision in the church. I don't think you ought to do that, because you can remember when I gave you that £5,000. You know, well, we don't want to put ourselves in that place, because we want the freedom to leave the church as God directs. Even if we did need the £5,000 it was offered, and normally it's the case, that's the temptation. In my first ministry, the first, the first, one of the first pastors of another denomination I ever made friends with was starved out of his church. I want to make sure the denomination had a respect for it by a controlling diaconate that says, we don't like you preaching the word straight down the line. We're all going to stop tithing and you'll have to go. And he actually left the man's friends. He had to take his kids. He had to move to another place. That is control. Yeah. And any church that's ever done that to their pastor needs to repent because they are going nowhere until they do so. Fourthly, offense. He says in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23, that when Jesus was reviled or offended, he didn't revile back. An offence, friends, is to take deep-seated offence when none was intended. Offence is not given, it's taken. But people chew over it, mull over it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And offence is offended, and it builds and it builds and it builds. And here's what happens. Offence is normally taken over triviality out of immaturity. In other words, you get offended about something that doesn't matter. That's the schemes of the enemy. And it results in umbrage, distillation of relationships, walking on eggshells to people. How are you tonight? Well, I'm not happy. I'm not happy. You know. 
We're trying, trying to build an awesome church. It's not going to happen. Proverbs says that an offended spirit is more unyielding than a fortified city. Have you ever met anybody like that? Oh my word. Not even a bulldozer could sort them out. Unrepented of, it sets people and churches on a journey of hardness, barrenness, dearth, and death. It impairs relationships, it pushes back on renewal, and it, and it, and it, it disables, us of, disables us from reflecting the life of Christ. Thieves. Religion. Control. Offense. And rejection. Read the Gospels. You'll find these things coming against Jesus all of the time. And too many churches are seeking to build the church and they've allowed themselves to be overrun by the thieves of the kingdom. Arena Church, by our devoted followership of Jesus, by our genuine committing to the well-being of this house, by, and I'll say the word, our submitting to those that are called to guardianship over arena, we will bolt the door to religion, rejection, control, and offense. And we will continue to set ourselves up as a house that God has ordained to fill with his glory and his presence. And then anything can happen. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming to join me on the platform.